You're listening to the podcast for Zionstone United Church of Christ, taken from the weekly homilies of interim pastor Michael Lansman. Good morning, everybody. It's great to see you all looking so festive. And while we were passing the peace, people have on really cool ties and sweaters and all that stuff. It's great. I think my wife was wearing red shoes. It's great. And what a great group of readings, too, this morning. So poignant for us and, and full of the mystery of the incarnation of our Lord Jesus. And upon hearing these passages, you might be thinking to yourself, what does, what does this passage in Second Samuel about David building a house for God and wanting to build God a temple, what in the world does this have to do with the story of the Annunciation in the Gospels? Because that, that was the passage for this morning, the Annunciation, the angel Gabriel coming to the Virgin Mary and telling her that, that God has sent him to her. So that's a great question. I'm glad you asked that. So we'll talk a little bit about that this morning. So in this first text, 2 Samuel 7, 1 to 11, I'll just read it again really quickly. When the king lived in his house, the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies. The king said to Nathan the prophet, See, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. Right, that's the tabernacle that the children of Israel are carrying around with them in the Old Testament. And they have the Ark of the Covenant, which is living in, well, it, it, its resting place is there in the holiest of holy places in the tent. It's kind of structured in a certain way, right? Holiest of holies is in the, it's kind of explains church architecture, right? So if we're using the church as a model, right, so you would have maybe the narthex would be the outer courts. And then where we're gathered here would be the holy place. And then where the altar is up here is where the, holy, where the Ark of the Covenant would be, the Holy of Holies, where the divine mystery of God would be, where, where atonement would be made for the people, right? In the Old Testament, God is in a, that's in a tent. And then later on, it, they build him a temple. But that's kind of the, what's going on here, right? So Nathan said to the king, Go, do that is all in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go, tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people. I have been with you wherever you went, and I have cut off all of your enemies. I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, so they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more, as formerly from the time I appointed judges over my people Israel. We all know that, right? Because we... We had a really wonderful summer series over Judges, so we don't have to go over all that again. Some of you are saying, thank God. I will give you rest from all of your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So there's a lot going on here in, in, in this text. So at the very, very beginning of Second Samuel chapter 7, David is resting. The Lord had given him rest. So in other words, all of his enemies have been subdued. Uh, there's peace in the land for the moment, right, from war, because unfortunately that's just how things are back then. And, and even in our time now, war is, is always a constant. But they're in re relative peace, relative prosperity. 
Davies is kind of lounging around, and this is the one time when he's not fighting lounging around that he doesn't get in trouble. He says, you know what? I live in this really beautiful mansion made of cedar, wood, and the Lord lives in a tent. This isn't a good thing, so I think I need to make the Lord his own house of cedar, his own temple. And so Nathan the prophet says, that's a great idea, David. You should totally do that. And then Nathan goes home, and then God says, actually, Nathan, that's not really a good idea. (laughs) So go tell David, no, I don't want him to build me a house. God essentially says to, to David through Nathan, I never asked anyone for a house. He's like, all of the judges that I spoke to, I didn't ask any of them to build me a house. I haven't asked, all the time that we've been moving around all over the place, have I asked anybody to build me a house? And so the answer, of course, is no. But then God says something interesting. He starts talking about David. And he says, David, I will make you, listen to this language, I will make your name great. And then he says, your house, your kingdom will be established forever. So being, uh, all of us being good Christians, what should this language immediately make us think of? I will, God telling somebody, I will make your name great and your lineage will last forever. Your kingdom will last forever. Who should that make us immediately think of? All the way back in Genesis in the beginning there. Well, not quite in the beginning, but in Genesis. Abraham. Abraham. That's the same language God uses to talk to Abraham. In Genesis 12, too, God says, I will bless you. I will make your name great. And then he says in Genesis 13, 15, Abraham, the land you see, I will give to your family forever. So there's this continuation here of the promises that God has spoken to Abraham. God is still moving along through those same promises through David, through David. And David says, God, I'm going to build you a house. And God says, no, I'm going to build your house. Interesting, right? David's like, God, I'm going to build you a house. And God says, no, I'm going to build yours. But it's also going to be mine. (laughs) So God's going to build David a house that's also going to be his house. And then this is fun. In the the story here, God lays out David's history. He's like, I took you out from the sheep, and then you are pasturing the sheep as a shepherd, and now you're shepherding my people. I made you a king. And then he links David's, uh, God's actions through David with the future. He starts talking about the future. He says stuff like, um, violent men will afflict your people no more. From the time I appointed judges, I will give you rest from all of your enemies. So God is promising him rest, like eternal rest, and an eternal kingdom. An eternal kingdom. And then we know as we continue out through the story that David doesn't build God a house, but when his son Solomon says, I'd like to build God a house, God then says, yes. He puts a place where he dwells, a place where God will come and live with his people, a place where worship is localized and sacrifice is altered. And so one of the cool things about this text is we see at the beginning, it says the Lord had given him rest. And when we think about this, one of the things about Christ coming is that he's also coming to give us rest, right? It's not just a rest from all of the bad things of life, but it's also a rest from our our biggest enemies that we're we're subject to to sin and death. And so it's interesting when we read these Christmas stories and we read these passages from the Old Testament, 
that we understand that it speaks to us on a variety of ways, on a variety of different levels, and it's all revolving around the coming work of Jesus, around the coming work of our Lord. So then in the second text in Luke 21, 26 to 38, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of who? David. God is fulfilling his promises. This is an ongoing story. Sometimes when we read the Bible, we, we, even though we have different books, different genres, different languages, sometimes we chop it up and we don't understand or we forget to understand or we don't see that this is an ongoing story. That this is a story of how a people encounter and meet God, how they how they worship God, how they make a covenant with God, and how they and God interact throughout the centuries leading to Jesus Christ. And then ultimately leading brothers and sisters to us, to the church. So the angel came, the virgin's name was Mary. He came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. What did we just read in 2 Samuel? God saying to David. He said, I will make your name what? Great. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. This is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing is impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So when we look at this passage here, particularly verses 32 to 33, about him being great, the son of the Most High, the Lord will give to him the throne of his father, David. He will rule forever. Right? This is a fulfillment of what we've just read in 2 Samuel. God is establishing not... God is establishing David's house, but David's house is also God's house. His child will be more, though, than just a regular king like David. He will be called the Son of the Most High, the Son of God. Now, sometimes we we think that these Bible stories occur in a vacuum, kind of devoid of context. So think about it like this. Sometimes we think that, that when God speaks or when the angels speak to somebody in the story, sometimes we think that they don't kind of know what's going on. But think about it like this. The angel appears to Mary and he says, okay, you're a virgin, but you're going to have a baby. And she's like, uh, okay. But then towards the end of the annunciation, he says, your cousin Elizabeth, who is old and who was barren, what is happening? She's also going to be having a baby, kind of as a sign. What would Mary have immediately thought of? Being an observant Israelite. What would she have known? 
the story of Abraham. She would have known the story of David. She would have known of the story of the prophet Samuel, who was also given to a woman who could not have children. She would have known of the story of Isaac, who was given it to the son, as a son of the promise to an elderly couple who could not have children. She would have known of Samson given to the barren wife of a couple hiding out from, from the Philistines. She would have known these stories. These stories would have shaped her identity as a person. So we have to remember, we have all of these currents kind of going around her at this time. She would have known those Old Testament stories. She would have been raised in those Old Testament stories. And we know this because of the song she sings at the end, the Magnificat. And so what's going on here, Mary's son will be of the lineage of David. She knows these promises of God. She knows of of the eternal kingdom. But one of the things we have to remember when we talk about Jesus is his kingdom does not begin as a nation state. Okay? So in America, there's this theological thing that's arisen um, that goes back maybe about 100 or 200 years or so. And they put an undue amount of attention on the nation state of modern Israel. Okay? And so what happens in modern Israel since 1948 is supposed to be It's supposed to be like prophetic uh, warnings or or something, according to a particular reading of the Old Testament. But that, I think, brothers and sisters, is misses the point, right? Misses the point. We shouldn't make too much of the goings-on in the nation state of Israel because Jesus' kingdom doesn't... It's going to result in an actual earthly kingdom, but that actual earthly kingdom does not happen yet until the second coming, right? Because what's happening is God sending Jesus... God is continuing the work he's begun through his people, right? Through Abraham, all the way down through now through Jesus. And then Jesus forgives our sins. He redeems us. He saves us. He brings us into a relationship with him. And then we are then called as God's people into the earth. And ultimately we work until Jesus' kingdom is realized in full. We know, as I know all of you remember on Christ the King Sunday when we talked about that, right? About Jesus being king. I'm just kidding. I know he died. It was, it was a long time ago. But on Christ the King Sunday, we talked a little bit about that. But Jesus is ruling and reigning now. And ultimately, on a new heaven and a new earth, we believe as Christians, is that's when his kingdom is realized in its fullest. So before I conclude, we have to talk a little bit in this story about, about Mary. And I think that we have to talk specifically about Mary is because throughout history, She's become, in, 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 in a, I think in a lot of Protestant circles anyway, she's been marginalized. She's been marginalized. Like, she's not really that important. She said yes to God, and that's okay. And then we just don't really talk about her anymore throughout the rest of the year. But I think that ignores a lot of Christian reflection about Mary and about her, her importance in the story. And I think that, that, you know, around this time of year, one of the popular songs that you hear on Christian radio uh, is Mary, Did You Know, right? We all, we all know that song, and, and we all love that song. But we start thinking about it. Why do we think that that song has become so popular, specifically on Christian radio? I think, brothers and sisters, it's become popular because we've kind of lost Mary in the story. That in our effort to not be too Roman Catholic, we just don't really mention her or talk too much about her. But when we talk about the Virgin Mary, we have to remember a couple of things. That she's, only one, she's one of only three people prophesied of in the Old Testament. Did you, did you know that? In the Old Testament, 
Jesus, John the Baptist, and the Virgin Mary. Those are the only three people prophesied directly of in the Old Testament. And so we shouldn't let the specter of not wanting to be or sound too Roman Catholic, we shouldn't let that loom too much in our minds. This is the Annunciation. The angel says the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. So this Holy Spirit overshadowing her womb, this is language used of the temple, right? And language used of the tabernacle where God's presence comes and fills it, where God's presence comes and rests on the Ark of the Covenant. God is saying that that same action is going to happen inside of you. Mary then is going to be like the Ark of the Covenant. She is going to be the dwelling place of God the Son in her womb. Think about that, right? That's the uncontainable God becomes contained in the womb of a teenage girl in a backwater country, kind of in the middle of nowhere, 2,000 years ago. But this is the special way that God works, brothers and sisters. He works in ways we do not expect. Yeah, that's Isaac up there. He's saying amen, Dad. Thank you, buddy. I used to be Pentecostal, you know, so I got to get those amens in every once in a while. So this promise to David about him not needing a house is highlighted because God is building the house. And Mary is part of this process, right? St. Athanasius, reflecting on this in the, in the, in the 4th century, said about, about the Annunciation and about the Incarnation is, is that Jesus, that he takes that which is ours from a spotless and stainless virgin, ignorant of man, although himself being powerful and the creator of the universe, He prepared for himself in the virgin the body as a temple, and he made it his own as an instrument, making himself known and dwelling in it. So Mary's reception then, brothers and sisters, her, be it unto me according to your word, behold, I am the Lord's servant. This is an example of how we are to receive the Lord. And so when we think about the Annunciation, when we think about the importance of the Virgin Mary, In a sense, Mary is the prototype of what it means to be a Christian because she is the first person in Scripture to receive the Lord. She's the first person in Scripture to receive Jesus. Figuratively and literally, right? And so that, yes, is an example for us. God himself is coming to dwell inside of her. And what does she say when God says, hey, this is what I'm going to do? Does Mary say, no, I don't want it? She could have. And when God puts out his invitation for people to come to Christ, we ourselves can say no. But what does she do? She doesn't say no. In humility, she says yes. She says yes. And Mary's yes to God It's the same yes that we offer to God when confronted with the promise of the gospel in Jesus Christ. Jesus comes to dwell in all of us as we respond to the leading of the Holy Spirit by obeying that call to repent and believe just as she did. Her obedience is a model of our obedience. And God tasks us and he asks us to be on his mission of reconciliation. And so, brothers and sisters, our response 
to God should be just like her. I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to thy word. And so what is God asking of you this Christmas season, this, this holiday season where we celebrate the, the birth of our Lord? What is God asking of you? Maybe it's something general. Maybe it's something specific. Maybe you are not a believer. Maybe you are a believer. Maybe you're here out of obligation because this is the one time of year when you come besides Easter, and that's okay. But what is God asking of you? What is he asking of you? What is God asking of us as a group? He's asking of all of us, those outside, those inside, that Christ, like in the womb of the Virgin, be formed in us. That Christ be formed in our hearts. And so, like the Virgin Mary, we respond by saying, we are the servant of the Lord. So I want you all say that with me today. I want you all to say, I am the servant of the Lord. May it be to me according to your word. And so to God, the word, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who was born of the Holy Spirit and of the Virgin Mary, be all glory, honor, and power together with his Father, who is from everlasting, and his all holy, good, and life-giving spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon podcast for Zion's Stone United Church of Christ. We're located in beautiful Northampton, Pennsylvania, and we'd love for you to come worship with us. You can find us on the internet, www.zionsstoneucc.com, or you can find us on Facebook, Zion's Stone UCC. God bless. Thanks for listening.